So let's go to the Bible. We've been reading about miracles uh, in the book of Matthew, and we've called this, this little mini-series mini Miracles with Meaning. Because the miracles of Jesus, we know, had an immediate impact and message upon the original audience. And for you and I to, to, uh, to get the, the real point of the passage, we have to get as close to it and open our lives up to the, to the shock and the awe and the wonder of the moment if we're going to also hear the message and if we're going to be able to respond in the way that uh, the Holy Spirit intends us, intends us to do. So what we see, we, we, so then we recognize that if we will respond like that, that each of these miracles still has a message to the modern reader. You might say to yourself, this has a message for me. You might say that. This has a message for me. I appreciate that. You know, I was also noticing as I occasionally was scrolling through this morning, some of my friends that in different time zones that are, that are, uh, that have uh, online services. And I was watching these guys, uh, um, try to make jokes, <laughs> try to, try to make jokes online with nobody in the room. And it, it, and and you know that maybe all people online might be chuckling or whatever, but the, it, it's it's like looking at a stand up comic that nobody appreciates because he says this joke and then kind of waits and the room is silent. Fortunately, I find my own self amusing, and so I that I'll just chuckle. But anyway, uh, these these things continue to speak to us, and when we when we see the miracles of Jesus, what's important is that they, that we respond to them with greater faith and obedience toward Christ. Now, what we have seen is that Matthew highlights in his text the authority of Jesus. Why does Matthew highlight the authority of Jesus? Well, uh, what one you know reason would be that Jesus that Matthew is highlighting the authority of Jesus because he's writing to people who he is persuading or or reaffirming their conviction that Jesus is superior. He is superior to Moses and the angels, and he is he is superior. He is God's he is the Messiah. He is the the heir of Abraham, the the the, the son of Abraham, the heir of the heir to the throne of David. He is the Christ, and as such, he has higher authority. He he is the ultimate fulfillment of the law and the prophets and everything. So there's that, but also that there's this that when that uh, that we that we get to watch people respond to Jesus, and then when we do, our faith and obedience grows as disciples of Jesus. As disciples of Jesus, our faith and obedience grows as we see his authority. His authority has invites, elicits from our lives greater faith and greater obedience. And that's what it means to follow Jesus. Big Jesus means big faith. There's no other way around it. And it's not the other way around. We don't make Jesus bigger by working on our faith. The bigger Jesus gets in the, in the, in the, in the canvas of our minds, uh, the, then, then the more robust, more, the more organically, the more fervent our faith, I would use the word blossom, it's not very, um, but our, our faith burgeons. Our faith gets more vibrant and more robust as we behold Jesus in all of his incredible authority. Okay, so so today we're going to see, uh, in, from, from Matthew's uh, miracle passages, today what we'll see is that Jesus is able to do this. You might say that out loud with me. Jesus is able to do this. Okay, so let's read the passage together. Uh, I'll, I'm going to be reading it from the NIV. Are you ready? 
You can be read it in whatever version you'd like, but I'll read it out loud in the NIV. 927, as Jesus went on from there, two blind men followed him, calling out, Have mercy on us, son of David. When he had gone indoors, the blind men came to him and, and he asked them, Do you believe that I am able to do this? Do you believe that I am able to do this? Yes, Lord, they replied. Then he touched their eyes and said, according to your faith, let it be done to you. Then their sight was restored. Then, and Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. But then they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. <laughs> you might notice right away that that wasn't necessarily a robust obedience, but we'll talk about that in just a minute. So, so what's the deal here? What's the message for the, the, the contemporary reader? Well, the message, let me just throw this out here. I believe the message for the reader, both in the first horizon and in today's audience, the message is this, that faith means believing that Jesus is able. Faith means believing that Jesus is able. Jesus is the catalyst. The size of our Jesus is the catalyst and the source of the size of our faith. Let Christ be magnified and your faith will follow. Wish I was in my own house shouting me down right now. Okay, so so there's the idea Jesus, uh, that faith means believing Jesus is able. How do we see that in this passage? Well, we pick it up at verse 27. Matthew says, as he went on from there. Where's there? Well, that's why it's important to know the story. There is, he just raised a girl from the dead. And that hadn't been done. Nobody had raised a woman from the dead Ever. No, no act of great kindness had been done to a gal, especially a little uh, 12-year-old girl. So it's, it's an incredible miracle. It's an incredible expression of mercy and power. It, 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 she was dead. He touches her. Could have been unclean. One touch. Now she's not dead. So, she's no, so nobody's unclean. So the news goes, spreads out everywhere. So you got to feel that. So in the echo of that miracle... That, that, that miracle is still echoing in the region, and Jesus is making his way uh, uh, down. He proceeds from there, and in the echo of that miracle, two blind men start following. Okay? Is, by the way, did, heritage at home means we're all home together, which means I, too, am getting a FedEx delivery right now. Hey, guys, just let the dog out. He's just going to yell, at, then everyone's going to wonder why the dog is barking. So... Uh, so, uh, so they're they're following him, but uh, uh, they're, they they can't see Jesus, of course, but they can listen to the sound of the commotion. They can they can hear the sound of of, of a crowd of a, of 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 people of people. Perhaps they could hear people talking about what Jesus had done. Did you hear? Did you hear what happened? Did you hear what happened to this family? And and they're talking about it. And these the men can't see, but they can hear. They can't recognize Jesus. They don't recognize him for themselves, but they can hear about him. And this is really important when we think about how evangelism works and how people are drawn to Christ. That people are drawn to Christ not because, not initially because they know him personally. It doesn't, they don't have, oh, I met Jesus and then I discovered how wonderful he was. It wasn't that they, oftentimes uh, people hear their, their interest in Jesus is generated by the people who have experienced him talking about him. 
And that's why it's so important that as followers of Jesus, we keep the testimony of Jesus on our lips, that we keep talking about good news. You know, people aren't going to be crying out for Jesus if the followers of Jesus are mealy-mouthed, navel-gazers, negative Nelly talkers. They're not going to be enthusiastic. That's not going to inspire the desperate to cry out for Jesus. <laughs> so we should talk about that. We should. It's, it's important that the followers of Jesus make sure that Jesus stays big Jesus in our minds and in our mouths so that Jesus will be big Jesus out there. He's got to be big Jesus in here if we want out there to know that he's big. All right. So there. So these men are following because not because they know Jesus, but because they've heard about him. And then they cry out. Look here. They call out, Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, have mercy on us. They, ha, Son of David, <clears throat> have mercy on us. Son of David is a term intentionally used in the book of Matthew. Matthew wants <clears throat> his audience to know that, that's, that Jesus is the Son of David, that he is, <clears throat> that he, he is the rightful heir uh, to, the, to the throne. <clears throat> if you want a little bit of, of trivia history, you want it? Yes. Here's the deal. Uh, uh, who's the most famous son of David except for Jesus? That's right, Solomon. And, and, and Josephus tells us that Solomon actually had himself, he, can, he, he actually could, he had himself a bit of a healing ministry, a healing and deliverance ministry, actually. <clears throat> uh, that he, pray, he, 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 that Solomon did, that's, that's, that's outside of the, the canon of scripture, but it's a historical thing that Solomon had this. And so even to say son of David, for people that are in need to say son of David, they're, they're thinking there's something to this. Okay. So they, <clears throat> but, but what we know is that son of David is also a term used in, in the gospels toward Jesus. It is a title that Jesus, you, that people use about Jesus when they, when they don't, when they know about him. When they know about Jesus, they, they, it's often you'll hear them say, Son of David. They know about him. They don't know him personally, necessarily, but they know about him. They use this term when they know enough about Jesus to know that they need his help. So as these blind men are calling out, Son of David, have mercy on us, they're not, they're not calling out to Jesus out of, a, out of the depth of personal relationship or really a, a full knowledge. They just know enough about this guy that they know they need his help. People grow to know him more after or as they experience his mercy. But these men only know Jesus through what they have heard or what they've heard about from others. You don't have to know much about Jesus. All you really need to know is that you need his help. You don't have to know much about him. You just need to know that you need his help. And that is what these men cried for. They cried for mercy. If I were in the room with you, I'd, I'd encourage you to say the word mercy out loud. Because mercy is what we need. Therefore, mercy is what we seek. We do not approach Jesus based on our merit or with some sort of presumption of his obligation to us or with some sort of presumption of his aversion to us. We approach him by appealing to his nature. Not, not, we don't approach him by, by considering our worth or our behavior, or, or, or any kind of measurement, we approach Jesus by appealing to his nature. That is faith. 
Faith acknowledges that God is free. He is free to act or not to act because faith is confident in the quality of his person. I recognize God is free to to act or not. He's totally free, but I ask him anyway, not because he's under obligation or not because I have deserved something. I am asking out of a confidence in the very nature of God. And that's what faith is. Faith is a response to the nature of God. Big Jesus means big faith. These men didn't have a full, comprehensive, exhaustive knowledge of who Jesus was, but they knew enough. They'd heard that he'd help somebody else, and if he helped somebody, he might help them. They couldn't see Jesus, but they believed that he was big enough to be merciful to them. Therefore, faith boldly seeks mercy. And that's what the writer of Hebrews will eventually communicate as well in Hebrews chapter 4 and verse 16. Let us then approach God's throne of grace with confidence or with boldness or with a, a bald face, literally, okay? So that we might what? So that let's, let's approach the throne. Let's approach the throne with faith. Why? So that we might receive mercy and find grace to help in our time of need. Matthew continues, verse 28, uh, he says this, when he had gone indoors, so the, 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 these, the, the two blind men are following Jesus, crying out for mercy, and he goes in, the, literally, he goes in the house. We're not told what house, but it's probably Capernaum, so it could have been, some people say it was his own house, or he could have gone back to Peter's house, or whatever else. It doesn't really matter. That's not part of the story. He goes in the house. The point is, he gets away from, I'm too excited to tell you why it's important, but he gets, he gets away from the crowd. He gets away from the people following him, and it's him and maybe his handful of, of, of his disciples, or maybe all 12 of them, it doesn't matter. But all we know, all we can see in the text, in the, the, the picture that we're given, the, the PowerPoint slide that we're given, is Jesus and two men who are blind, seeking mercy, alone in a house. And when they, and when they come to him, he asks them this question. Do you believe that I am able to do this. I want us to feel all of those words. Do you believe, do you believe that I am able to do this? He asked them if they believed he was he was able. Did Jesus have the ability to do this? For them, the, the this was to restore their sight. For us, this is wherever we need his mercy. Wherever you need the mercy of Jesus, that's your this this morning. And Jesus asks, do you believe that I am able to do this? Jesus asked him if they believed he was able. Jesus asked how big their Jesus was. Now, that's a big question because there's no, there is no record of the blind eyes being opened, of blindness being restored in all of the Old Testament. There may be some episodes that we don't, that I'm not familiar with in in uh, apocryphal, pseudepigraphal literature and, and and first century stuff. But in in the in the in the canon, in the in the Pentateuch, in the Torah, in the Law and the Prophets, no, there is no record of blind eyes being opened. There is the promise that blind eyes will be opened. Isaiah 35, 5 says that the, in, in, in anticipating the Messiah, that the, the eyes of the blind will be opened, but no one had ever done it before. 
It had never happened before. So this wasn't an easy question. You and I hear the question and we say, well, golly, you betcha, Jesus. But uh, this, this was not an easy question. This was not a rhetorical exchange. Because there was no help for their blindness. There was no cure. There was no treatment. There was no, there is, there's no precedent of anyone else's eyes ever have ever have been, having been opened. No one had ever done this before. When you're in that kind of a place, that's a tough place to, to have a faith. When you're in that kind of a, a, a of the definition of hopeless, that's when it's really important that you don't look and say, "Well, gosh, I mean, I'm struggling to believe. I'm struggling to feel. I feel this. I feel that." You you gotta you gotta turn away from all of that. None of that's going to help you. In those times, that's when you that's when you turn. <clears throat> that's when you turn. Mm, that's when you turn your eyes upon Jesus. You look full in his wonderful face. When circumstances are of no help, when history is of no help, you turn your eyes on Jesus. So Jesus asks them, do they believe that he could do this? You know, perhaps they had heard, here's the deal. Here's where it might resonate with you and me. Perhaps they had heard of Jesus doing other things for other people. But Jesus wants to know if they believe he was able to do this for them. Now, this is the question I believe the Lord asks of us. He asks of you. This is the question of faith. Not how much do you believe or do you believe enough, but do you believe that Jesus is able to do this. This is the question of faith. This is the question that faith asks you and me every day. It asks us a thousand times a day. With every opportunity, with every crisis, with every frustration, with every opportunity, with every question that comes across, with every hint, with every, especially in, in seasons of, uh, well, well, maybe like the one we're in now, where, 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 where with every day there's a fresh wind of, of, of threat or, uh, or danger or risk or, oh no, or it's going to get bad or no, it's not, or it hasn't even started to get bad yet. All the stuff that we hear and, and, and bills that need to be paid and people that are worried about their businesses that their families have have worked for generations to 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 to, to prosper and, and and to and to create and they're wondering is is, is is there any hope of all of this with every wind of risk of challenge with and and even in day-to-day -day being just do i have is faith says do you believe that jesus is able to handle the fact that you're a little bit frustrated with your family yeah faith asks you that question do you believe jesus is able to do this and how we answer is entirely determined. It's determined by our view of Jesus. How big is Jesus? Is he big enough? Do you believe that Jesus is able to do this? And they answered, yes, Lord. This is our answer to the question of faith. Yes. Yes. I know that Jesus, I know that Jesus is able to make me what I ought to be. I know that Jesus is able to save. I know that Jesus is able to heal. Yes, I believe that Jesus is able to help. 
Yes, I believe that Jesus is able to deliver. Yes, I believe that Jesus is able to provide. Yes, I believe that Jesus is able to guide. How will you answer? Friend, if you're struggling with how to answer, let me say it again. Start with believing what he has already done. If it's difficult for you to look out in front of you and, and, have, and, have, and see Jesus as big enough to handle this, consider that he's handled that. Consider, if you're wondering about, is he, is, do you believe that I'm able to do this? I don't, before I answer that, Lord, I want, to, I want to look back and see that you have been able to do that. You have done that for, for, in the, read the Bible, read the testimony of scriptures. Again, remember the faithfulness of God. Remember, count your blessings. Look back and see how big Jesus has been so that you can have confidence in how big Jesus will continue to be. Let the testimony of what Jesus has done enlarge the magnitude of the authority of Jesus on the canvas of your heart until big Jesus becomes big faith. Then you can look at your this and say, yes, Lord, I believe you're able to do this. Then verse, verse 29, when they said, yes, Lord, verse 29, Jesus retouched their eyes. So he must have maybe had one hand on both guys' face. He reaches out and touches their eyes and says, according to your faith, let it be to you. That's a massive statement. On one hand, we might take that just and read it and say, according to my faith, let it be to me. Well, I, wanna, I believe I can fly or whatever. I'm going to jump off the roof. Don't be ridiculous. The, 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 that, that statement is massive and it's true, and, but it needs to be understood in the context of the, of the question. Do you, do you believe I'm able to do this? That he's, he's talking about this specific, this specific need of mercy. And so as you have believed, Jesus said, or because you have believed, because you said yes to faith, let it be. He's not saying, hmm, he didn't take a, he, this oftentimes, this also was weaponized. And it's like people take, they, they want to take that statement like it's a, like a, like a, like a thermometer and they stick it under your tongue and say, hmm, let me see how much faith you have. Jesus didn't say, hmm, let me see. Ooh, you're a little shy. I can't do this for you. Or, ooh, look at you. You know, 101, you made it. No, he wasn't measuring the amount of faith. He simply asked them, yes or no, do you believe that I am able? And it was a and his his the mercy he extended them was in response because they believed, not in the amount or the measure or the performance. It was the presence of faith, not the performance of faith. Our experience of Jesus, as his disciples, our experience of Jesus will be the will be determined. Our experience of Jesus will be determined by the size of our Jesus. Then verse 30, and then their sight was restored, or their eyes were opened. Look, that's not a metaphor. That happened. Their eyes were opened. But I want you to consider, even though I cautioned against the metaphor, we have to, do we get the shock and awe? This had never, okay, I'll just do it. This had never happened before. Verse 30 is anticlimactic. And their sight was restored. How easy is it for us to go, ho-hum, that had never 
happened before since God said, let there be light. This was the first time since God said, let there be light, that light miraculously appeared where there was darkness. It's barely even given time, but consider this is the first time in recorded canonical history that the eyes of the blind are opened. And of course, as my mama always liked to say, that when the blind eyes are open, she said, how magnificent is it that the first thing they see is the face of Jesus? But think about that. Think about the metaphor now. They believed before they saw. They, or, put it this way, they said yes before they could see. They said yes before they could see. They saw a big Jesus before Jesus made them see. Then, verse 30, <laughs> Jesus warned them sternly, see that no one knows about this. <laughs> Why did Jesus warn them not to talk about it? Well, if you read in your, in your study Bible notes, you're going to hear a lot about what's called the Messianic secret. I sort of have a whole hum about that. And then, in other words, other, other people will say, well, Jesus didn't want to be known as a healer. Uh, they'll say they'll say, they say all kinds of things like Jesus is trying to Jesus cares more about righteousness than he does. They they they, they like people like to say Jesus said don't tell me about this because somehow Jesus was mildly annoyed by having to heal people. <laughs> and that well that's antichrist. Okay, so uh, there I said that on the interwebs. So, but no, Jesus was not annoyed by healing and deliverance. He actually came to do. He came to heal. He came to deliver. Luke tells us that this is why the Spirit of the Lord is upon me to do this very stuff. So why? He, he doesn't have an aversion to healing. He doesn't have any aversion to testimony. He doesn't have any aversion to anyone knowing what he's doing. But why does he tell these boys not to say anything? Well, there's there, there could be some, some reasons about him just laying low or whatever, but... More importantly, this reveals to us what his motives were not. If Jesus is willing to take the, see, if Jesus is willing to take these boys privately in a home and and do for them a miracle which has never been done before on the planet, and then tell them, don't tell anybody. Then why did he do it? What were what were the motives, or what weren't the motives? Well, we know this. Jesus wasn't pulling off some sort of publicity stunt. We know this. We know that Jesus was not on some sort of political or popular mission. But perhaps the most significant observation, my friend, is this. That Jesus was not using compassion to facilitate an agenda. For Jesus... Mercy is not a means to an end. This was not a move to prove anything. This was not a unique sign to signal his divinity or his messiahship. This was not done even so that they would believe. It was done because they did believe. Here's the deal. Mercy for Jesus is not a means to an end. Mercy for Jesus is an end in itself. Please, please see that room, that house. We have them, two men, two people desperately in need of mercy. 
and Jesus. How often do we narrate our need for mercy by saying, well, you know, um, we narrate our need for mercy by wondering if we deserve it or Gosh, if this happened, consider the wonderful results and what, you know, what we want to almost negotiate like, boy, Lord, if, if this happened, just think, just think how famous you'd be, Jesus. Just think about how much this really is for your benefit, Lord. I mean, all of the things that the narration and we wonder if it's significant or we wonder if he wouldn't, does he notice us? Are we, are we a big enough deal for him to act in our favor or to give us mercy? And, and, but think about it. People want people. I mean, people say, "Oh, I'm. I. You know, there are other people that really, you know, the Lord should be paying attention to." And yet, here are these two guys, alone. And for and in that moment, they're the only people on the planet, and the only thing they need is His mercy. If there's a story that should encourage you, that while you're sheltered in place alone with Jesus in a house, there is no limit to the mercy wow. that is available to you. Yes. We must hear this or we won't have confidence that Jesus is big enough to be merciful to us when there's not a broader agenda or a public message. He's big enough to be merciful to us when the only agenda is mercy. There's mercy for you, friends. Do you believe that Jesus is able? So Jesus warns them. He says, all right, don't, don't tell anybody. And, 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 and the language here isn't like, I mean, it's easy for you and I maybe to read that like Jesus said, okay, guys, let's keep this between us. Like he winked at him or something. Well, he actually, uh, the, the, the language that in, in the Greek is more like he flared his nostrils at them. Literally, he said, don't tell anybody about this. <laughs> and I chuckle because verse 31 says, and they went out and spread the news about him all over the region. <laughs> uh, it, uh, I'm glad that Jesus has a sense of humor. And we know that because we've watched The Chosen and we see him laugh. Now, uh, but, but so Jesus says, don't tell anybody about this, but they go out and they tell everybody about this. Now, friends, that's an understandable response, but it's also a very instructive response because once again, we see that this is how evangelism happens. Not by strategy, not by method, not by gimmick, not by seminar, not by guilt, not by shame, not by lecture, not by competition. It happens by enthusiasm. It happens when Jesus is big. When people say yes to Jesus, when they genuinely experience his powerful compassion in their lives, they rarely keep Jesus to themselves. And when Jesus is big in our hearts and our minds, he's often big in our mouths. And big Jesus will mean big faith. Jesus is bigger out there when he's bigger in here. So let Je listen, if you want to if you want to if you want mercy for your home, you want you want mercy for your household, you want the mercy of God to prevail in your city, you want the mercy of God to prevail in your circumstance, your surroundings or county or in this country, then the then the key is not to lecture, not to complain, not to compete, not to connive, not to do any of these things. But the answer really is big Jesus. Let Jesus be big, big, big. Let him be ever bigger. 
And our faith will respond. Our obedience will respond. Our evangelism will be enthusiastic. Everything is affected by the size of our Jesus. How does this teach you and I to follow Jesus today? Well, I think we've covered a lot of that already, but let me just close by saying this. We need his mercy. Everyone needs mercy, and that's what faith must seek. And today, your this is simply where you need his mercy. And the question of faith is, the question that faith asks us this morning is, do you believe that Jesus is able to do this? As disciples of Jesus, everything is determined by the size of our Jesus. Both our experience and our expression. And big Jesus means big faith. So today, do you need his mercy? As we're winding down here today, do you need his mercy in your life? What is your this? Your this may not be that you've, you know, you, you have a, you're blind and, and, and no one's ever opened blind eyes before. And you're, I mean, you're, it may not be a, an absolutely impossible, never solved before kind of problem. It may, be a, it may just be a problem that's hard for you. It may be a challenge hard for you. It may be a circumstance that's, that's knocked you sideways or a hope that is deferred. Whatever it is, everybody needs mercy. And there isn't a need for mercy that is too large or too great or too small, I mean. Jesus is big enough. Jesus is big enough for whatever mercy you need. So let's pray together right now today. And and as you say yes to Jesus, as you say just out loud, just as you, as you're maybe by yourself or with a, a family member or a spouse or whatever, wherever you are today, just maybe visualize your this or say what your this is. Yeah. And, uh, and just, just say to the Lord, I believe, I believe that you're able to do this. See how that just, it takes the, the, the weight of performance off of you. And it, just, and it lets all of your hope rest upon a great big Jesus. Jesus, we believe that you are able to do this. We believe that you are able to extend powerful mercy. We believe that you are able to make us who we should be. That you are able, we believe, Jesus, that you are able to save. Jesus, I believe that you are able to deliver me. Jesus, I believe that you are able to provide for me. Jesus, I believe you are able to protect me. Jesus, I believe that you are able to to help family members. Jesus, I believe that you are able. Let it be unto me according to my faith today. As I have believed, let it be. Jesus, you are able. Friends, I bless you in Jesus' name. May you walk today... May Jesus become exponentially bigger so that your faith may become increasingly more robust and vibrant Mm -hmm. and contagious. And may mercy be yours, mercy upon mercy upon mercy, because Jesus is that big. All right, God bless you guys. Thanks for being with us today.
And uh, if you you're encouraged at all by anything that you saw today, I encourage you to, to share this or let somebody know about it. And uh, so that, let Jesus be big. Let other people know about it. All right. God bless you guys. Good day.